Well, a week ago, we were at the White House, and that was quite an experience. Always wanted to go my whole life, and I was hoping that we could come inside and have a chat with, with um, Trump, but apparently he wasn't in the mood for, for hot chocolate and marshmallows, so I'll have to try that again another time. But it's great to be back this morning. Hope you all had a great week last week and a great holiday, and I'm glad to have this actually running here this morning. Um, uh, on this morning, our message is entitled, The Necessity of Meditation. The Necessity of Meditation. And really, this all started a few years ago when we lived in Florida. I was having lunch with, with um, a minister there. His name is Rob Peters. And we're, we're on our way to a restaurant. And Rob asked me, David, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm here this afternoon. And I had this big smile on my face. I said, Rob, I am doing so great today. I feel so happy today. And yet he could kind of tell something was, was kind of off by my response. And then he said with this very solemn cadence in his voice, he said, David, but how are you really doing? And the way that he asked that question, it pierced my heart to the point where I felt that plastic smile that I had on my face slither down. And when I no longer had that mask on, the true person emerged who had been crying every morning in the shower for, for an entire week. And I heard myself blurt out loud, Rob, I am so depressed right now. And the only thing that I want to do is to vanish and disappear and never be seen ever again. And as we had drove to that restaurant, we were, we were speaking about the why and the how of what had brought me to that point. And then he began speaking about Philippians chapter 4. And he mentioned Philippians 4 and verse 8, and, and I began to, to quote it out loud in the car. And yet, just three words in, I, a gospel minister, and the son of a gospel minister, blinked only a few words in. And I had said that, well, whatever is, whatever is good, whatever is positive, whatever is right, wait, I know this, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, and he just looked at me. He said, there's your problem right there, David. You don't have what God says about this locked away in your mind. But you are trying to fight this sadness and this pain all by yourself. You need to tap into God's assistance. And he helped me realize that, that actually what I was doing for a very long time was actually the opposite of that. Really, the way that I was operating was something like whatever is wrong, whatever is horrible, whatever is a lie, whatever is negative, whatever makes you angry, whatever steals your joy, whatever makes you feel like a worthless, incompetent waste of life, then all, or rather than by all means, dwell on these things. Has anybody ever been here before? It's just amazing how so often we do the exact opposite of what Scripture says. Jerry read a verse for us a moment ago. 
How in the book of James it says everyone must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But, but so many times in my life, I have done the polar opposite of that. I have been very quick to speak. I've been quick to freak out and to despair and very slow to actually think about it. And really, I think the reason why Rob mentioned specifically Philippians 4 is because where Philippians 4.8 comes from in that context, it is all about or it's all about releasing our inner chaos and specifically by prayer and by meditation. And he goes on and he says there, or he says um, in Philippians there, um, a little bit later on, he says in chapter 4 and in verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and in just a moment, we will see exactly what promise he makes for us if we will just do that. But what Rob helped me to really see is just how enormously powerful and important our minds really are. Um, I read a quote by, by one writer who says that the mind is a powerful force. It can, it can enslave us or it can empower us. It can plunge us into the depths of misery or it could take us to the heights of ecstasy. Learn to use your mind in a wise way. And it really dawns on me that if we realized just how powerful our minds and our thoughts were, we would never intentionally think a negative thought ever again in our lives. This is how powerful our minds are. Our mind is to the body what a cockpit is to a plane. And whoever is sitting in that pilot seat, that is really piloting the, really the entire human machine and the entire human plane. And yet we know that we have an adversary there who wants to control our minds just as much as God wants to influence them. And what Satan wants to accomplish is he, Satan and his forces want to hijack our minds. And this is what Satan wants to accomplish in our minds. This is what Satan wants to accomplish in the way that we see our brothers and sisters in the church and the thoughts that we have about them. This is what Satan wants to do to our self-esteem. This is what he wants to do to our faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to hijack our plane and he wants to fly it into a high-rise. And I don't know about you, but, but I was on the verge of this happening once in my life. Our minds are a lot like a computer, capable of a lot of information, capable of a lot of incredible things, but, but what Satan wants to accomplish, he wants to infiltrate our minds and our thinking process just as a malicious virus comes into a computer and shuts it down with doubt, with sadness, with despair, with selfishness, with arrogance. This is what he wants to accomplish. And a lot of times, once he is allowed into our minds, 
And the evil one and his forces begin influencing the way that we, we are operating and thinking. It is a lot like a house that has become a hoarder's house. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a show about hoarders, but, but here is a clip about that. My house is full of trash and clutter, and it's very disgusting and horrible and unsanitary. We haven't thrown things out. We've kept things that we shouldn't have kept, and we just totally neglected it. Our house is very bad. This is the foyer, which was supposed to be the main entranceway into the house. It has been 10 to 15 years since we have opened the front door. Bags of rotting food. This has to be cleaned out before you can demolish the structure. For recycling purposes, you can't mix construction debris. And there's still some space in the toilet, but I don't want it to overflow. So I've been using a bucket. Now imagine if exactly what our, our own houses would look like if we had 20 years of garbage that we never took out of our house. Imagine what that house would, would look like, smell like, be like to live in every single day of our lives. And yet for so many years, perhaps many of us, if our minds were a house, that would be what our, our mind would all look like. Just all of this baggage that we keep in our minds unnecessarily. All of these negative thoughts of hate and negativity and pessimism and sadness and you name it, that is not rightfully ours to hold on to. You see, Satan wants to turn our minds into a hoarder's house. And yet the only way that we can avoid that from happening, if we are, might be there this morning, the only way that we can break loose from that is we have to throw out all of that trash away and we have to sweep the house clean. As it says in Scripture again, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And then here is what his promise is for us. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, notice, will guard your hearts. And Christ's peace will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. As it says in the book of Romans, that the mind set on the flesh, it is death. And yet the mind set on his Holy Spirit, it's life and it's peace. And again, the only way that we can, can break loose from a house like this and from a mind like this, we have got to throw that trash away and we've got to sweep the house clean. I don't know about you, but, but I lived long enough in a mind like this. And all I want in my life right now is to have a mind like this, where um, Christ and his spirit are welcomed as the one who will pilot my mind each day. And yet in order for us to experience this, we've got to do something that is one of the greatest fears of much of our culture, and especially in my generation, and that is we must enter into absolute solitude and an absolute silence. And I know that much of this culture is scared to death of silence. 
And that's because anytime that there seems to be any kind of silence, oftentimes it is drowned out by, by noise and by more noise and by more noise and by small talk. It seems like we are scared to death of sitting in the silence for a period of time. And yet I'm amazed, though, at the character of Jesus. Because Jesus lived three years with 12 of his followers. He was always around these, these men from day to day. Jesus was a man who was accustomed to, to large crowds swarming around him at all times. And yet there was one who Jesus yearned to be with more than anybody else. And that was alone with his heavenly father. And I mean, we can go through the gospel accounts and see instance after instance about what his lifestyle had been like from day to day. As it says in Matthew's gospel, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And then when it was evening, he was there all alone with, with his heavenly father. Or we could look at Mark's account where it says how in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place. And he was praying there. Or as it says in Luke's gospel, but, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and he would pray. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus um, intentionally entering into a solitude with his Father. And this is striking because Jesus is our divine example. Jesus is the one who we are to mimic and to all imitate. And as for us, though, I mean, just as much, we too need to be together. There is a time and a place for even group solitude, which is what we did just a moment ago at the table of the Lord. There is a time for us all to speak. And yet it seems like oftentimes we might forget that there is also a time to be absolutely silent and to enter into solitude with God our Father. And now something that we need to understand about solitude with our Heavenly Father is that, that this is not an endless isolation. As we see in the life of Jesus, he would have solitude with the Father, but, but he did not remain in solitude or in isolation. It seems Jesus spends just as much time in solitude as he does around other people. And so this is not endless isolation. And it's also not about eloquence. As we pray and as we meditate before God, it's not about how really, it's, it's really not about what big words we can use. And yet really what, what truly matters when we do this, when we have solitude with God, is that we are honestly unloading exactly what is on our hearts before God in that moment. Anything, whatever it might be. And it's also not about how long we do it. Now, at times, we might be able to have solitude with, with, with um, God, maybe, maybe for an hour at a time, maybe half an hour. And yet, if your life is anything like mine, maybe all you can have on certain days is just maybe five or six minutes in a day. But what truly matters is that whether it is five minutes or, or, or one, one full hour, that we, we are truly, genuinely giving God everything that we have in that moment. And it's not about um, exactly where we are either. As we read a moment ago, Jesus had said, or it, or it says about Jesus, that, that he would often go out into the wilderness and pray by himself. And yet he also says on the Sermon on the Mount that when you pray, go inside your inner room. 
And once you go inside there, close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And so it really doesn't matter where. It just matters how we are coming before our God. And yet, um, at times it is prayer as we have solitude with God, but at other times it is meditation. Now, I grew up not really knowing a whole lot about meditation. In fact, up until maybe a year or so ago, every time I heard that word meditation, I would think about a Buddhist um, idol. I would think about monks in Tibet who were chanting weird things, burning incense. I would think about, about you know, San Francisco hippies who were smoking weird stuff. And, you know, it just seemed like a very weird thing to be doing. And yet, I was amazed, though, at the number of times that word meditation actually shows up in Scripture. Now, the Hebrew meaning of the word meditate or meditation is the Hebrew word haggah. I want to hear... Um, uh, um, I, would like to hear, I would like to hear everybody say Haga. Haga. It is a word which means meditation, obviously. And yet it also means to imagine something. It means to mutter or to growl aloud to yourself as you meditate about that thing in Scripture. It means to um, dream or to ponder. But my favorite meaning of the word Haga or, or meditate in the Scriptures is to muse about something. And I like that word muse because it has a double meaning. It means that, that you can be lost in very deliberate thoughts. And yet what this word also means is that we have a muse that we are wanting to become like. And so when we meditate before God, when we hug God before Christ, we are being lost in very intentional thought that is geared towards ultimately having a heart and a mind that is like Jesus's. And again, this is all throughout Scripture. I remember how after Moses dies in the book of Joshua, Joshua is commissioned to more or less become a new kind of Moses and lead three million people across a river as it is in flood stage. And the instruction given to him is, be strong and courageous. And then he says that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall notice, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. For then, once you do this, it will make you, or it will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. Or in the book of Psalms, it says, but, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, notice, he meditates both day, and he meditates by night. Or as King David says in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Or as he also expresses in Psalm 63, that when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the, there in the night watches. And what I have experienced about true meditation is that Really, the way that it is truly experienced is to get as far away from distractions as you possibly can. And so what this is requiring is whether it is for five minutes, whether it's ten minutes, whether it is for, for an hour, it means that we have to get away from, from our phones and from um, our, you know, all, all of these distractions in our world, TV, noise, and on social media, all, all of this stuff that so easily captures our, our attention. 
and to completely give ourselves to what, what God's Word is saying to us. You see, I've gotten to the point where, where this is what I most look forward to on a daily basis. There is nothing that I enjoy more than having meditation in the Scriptures with Christ every single day. And the reason why I consider this to be a necessity is because whenever I meditate with the Word of God, I find that it unshackles everything that is on my mind. Usually as I start, at times there is a lot of negativity. Sometimes there is anger. Other times there is a great deal of sadness. And yet, really the more that I meditate, I can begin feeling all of that poison of all of those, those negative thoughts and emotions draining out of my, my heart as peace and joy are then breathed into my soul. There is just something about getting away from, from you know, all of the noise and violence of this world and drawing near to um, Christ in absolute silence and in a dark room. That, that gives me nourishment in my soul so much more than um, food and water does in my body. This is something that, that unshackles our minds. As all of those hellish thoughts that are rampaging in our mind no longer have that power to influence or to govern the way that we, we might think. And I think about Jesus just before he went to the cross. He said that I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to rise up on the third day, and then, then one of his followers says, Lord, that's not going to happen on my watch. And what does he say to um, Simon Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's things, or on God's interests, but you are setting your mind on man's interests. And I don't think Peter meant to be Satan in that moment. But he was trying to help Jesus. But he got in his heart and his mind the um, interest of men. And sometimes you get in your, your mind the interest of men. And sometimes I get in my own mind the interest of men. And really this is why Paul writes in the book of Colossians. He says, set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do not set your mind on the things which are here below upon the earth. When we truly meditate on this, we will find that, that it, un, it unshackles the way all of these um, things that have been weighing our minds down for a long time. And yet it also gives us new eyes with which to see this world. I have a friend in Florida who was having some conflicts with, with another guy at the church where he attended. And there was a lot, of anim, you know, um, a lot of animosity between them. And every time that he got anywhere near the sky, his blood would just boil. I mean, everybody here has at least one person in our lives, in our past, who we've experienced that with before, I'm sure. But he was praying, and he began meditating on the love of Christ. And he... In his prayer, he had asked God, God, help me to see this, this man in the way that you would want me to. And as he meditated on the love of Christ, in a few minutes he had this image in his mind about that guy who he had conflict with lying 
all by himself in a gutter, bleeding out. Nobody who could help him. And in his mind, he imagined going up to that person and taking him into his house and taking care of him. And when he came out of that that prayer and that meditation time, he never saw that brother as an enemy ever again. But he only saw him as a friend after he looked at that. I mean, this gives us new eyes. And yet lastly, it also renovates our soul. I'm not sure if I even do it in the way that, 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 that most people meditate. And yet the only way that I know how to do this up to this point is I'm very honest with where I am weak in that moment. And so wherever I am weak, wherever I am spiritually immature in that moment, I think about the verse that would most speak to me in terms of assisting me out of that way of living. And once I find that verse for for maybe 10 to 20 minutes at a time, all I do is just whisper that verse out loud over and over and over. I know this sounds crazy to a lot of people. I know people might be rolling you know, eyes at this, but, but this is, is truly transformative stuff if we try it. And so I just whisper that verse out loud to myself. And, and really what I did yesterday is I've been going through the fruits of the Spirit, just, just one at a time. And yesterday... I had been meditating on love. And, and I mean, for about, um, about maybe 10 minutes at a time, I just had whispered love, 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 until it was the only thing that was in my mind. And once that became my only thought, love, I then began remembering everything that I remembered in Scripture that had spoken about love. Then once I had done that, I began really imagining what Christ's love is like, how much he loves us. Once I did that, I began remembering all the people who I love the absolute most, Amanda and my parents and so forth. And yet then I began thinking about really individuals who, who I need to actually learn how to love more. When I came out of that half hour doing nothing but meditating on the love of Christ, it felt like I had just been to heaven. I stepped outside and the world looked different. The world felt different. As real life unfolded there before my eyes, it felt like I was in a dream of some kind. It felt like I was in a scene out of a movie. Even the way other people looked to me was much different than before. And I felt this love for them in my heart that was not there before. When you meditate, you will find that afterwards, you will be in traffic and somebody will cut you off. You will hit the brake still, but you will notice that you're no longer leaning on your horn. Your eyes are no longer bulging out of your skull. Four-letter words are no longer coming out of your mouth. When heaven is the only thing that you're living for, when the love of Jesus Christ is your muse, that changes the way that you see the world. It changes the way that you think. And it changes the way that you live. And so as we bring this to a close here this morning, 
Could it be that one of the reasons why we are not spiritually mature all the time, could it be one of the reasons why so often we might um, know that, that I'm just not strong spiritually right now, is because sometimes outside of this building, we don't always have much of a spiritual life. Could it be because the reason why we are not, not as strong spiritually as we need to be is because so much of our minds are completely wrapped around politics and this world and all of the anger and all of the issues in this world rather than setting our minds on the things which are above where Christ is. What would happen this week if every single day we were to set aside as much time as we could, three minutes, 15 minutes, one hour, whatever it is, and did nothing but just meditate on a passage of Scripture that, that, that really speaks to our weakness in that moment? It might be in our car just before we go into work. It might be on our lunch break. It might be right before we go to bed, but regardless, what matters is that, well, we do it. I'm reminded of the Corinthian letter as the Apostle Paul speaks about taking thoughts captive for Christ. All of these lofty thoughts in the world which, which war against Christ's wisdom. And so I just want to, um, or, or so I just want to invite us all Firstly, what thoughts do we need to take captive here this week? What, is, or what thought is there in your mind lately that is going against Christ's wisdom? Is it worry, perhaps? Is it fear? Is it shame about something that, that you had done 25 years ago that, that, that had been forgiven a long time ago, but you're still holding on to in your mind and in your heart? Is it arrogance? Is it selfishness or is it self-reliance? Brothers and sisters, all of these thoughts can be taken captive for Christ Jesus. And then lastly, what I want to invite us to this week is what passage of Scripture do we most need to meditate on every day this week? Is there any passage that we need to be meditating on this week? For me, much of the time, it is let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Or maybe for others, you, you have had a problem complaining about stuff lately. What would your life look like if every single day, for a few minutes at a time, you had cleared your mind? And the only thing on your mind was do all things without complaining or disputing. Because this is how we show that we are a Christian and children of God. Or maybe you have been struggling in sin lately. Maybe where you need to go in your mind this week is, is that the mindset on the flesh is death. And yet the mindset on the spirit is life and it's peace. And so I have cards here. And I'm going to give everybody here a card. And I just want us all to, to come up with a verse that is speaking about where we are weak right now in this moment and to invite us all to um, spend as much time as we can, really even if it's just three or four minutes at a time, and to go somewhere where there are no distractions, and to clear our minds of nothing but what that verse says to us, and we will see 
what happens in our lives. Well, as I close, I just want to go back really quickly to this image right here. And I want to remind us that they're right now in our lives. There is someone who is manning our cockpit here in our minds. It might be our worst nightmare who is manning it. It might be Christ himself. And yet I just want to ask you how you're doing this morning. I mean, how are you really doing this morning? 